Hello, everybody. Keith Jackson here. When I'm not calling games up in the big house, I like to listen to a couple of guys who know their college football. Tune in to Cheppy and the Bip on a bowl full of chips. Hello, college football fans, and congratulations. You are about to dive headfirst into a bowl full of chips. My name, Chappy, spelled C-Happy. The C stands for college football. And I, of course, am thrilled to be joined by my coherent, conscious, and compassionate co-host, Skinny Bipping at Night. Bip, how are the waters, my brother? <laughs> Not too bad. Just getting ready for uh, this cold spell that we're going to have in the Midwest um, coming up this week. The only good thing that uh, about having these windshield temperatures that could be as low as negative 30s is being, uh, quote unquote, forced into staying inside and working on college football stuff. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, it's I, I, for one, make no bones about it. I do not like the cold. I I like cool air. I like crisp air. And of course, I'm I'm talking about, you know, fall weather. And I think it's just because of all the great things that come with fall. You know, you're starting up uh, kind of a new school year with the kids. Um, you're you're getting past the the heat and the dog days of summer. You're getting into the most wonderful time of the year with the holiday season. But of course, what makes it even more wonderful is this great game that we get to talk about. So, um, but yeah, this this booty cold that they've got outside it's 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 not doing anything <laughs> for me, man. Um, I don't like shoveling. I don't like snow blowing. I don't like hearing people talk about how cold enough for you out there. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there, is there any more pointless phrase than is it hot enough or is it cold enough for you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean what, what do you want me to say for this? No, it's not. I wish it was colder or I wish it was hotter outside. Uh, Jim, I need four more degrees and then it will be cold enough for me, but thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I could just walk around with a sign on my forehead that says I'm not into small talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, as you know, we love college football. We love to laugh and we love loyalty or as Larry Bird would pronounce it, loldy. Loldy. <laughs> Uh, we love people who finish the job, and we, we like it, and, and we have uh, admiration for, for people who start something and they stick it through, uh, even through speed bumps. Yeah, so, I mean, for you loyal listeners, uh, you can maybe refer to this episode as the anti-transfer portal episode as we go through some of our uh, upcoming athletes that will be returning for their next year of college football at their same teams who are kind of the most important to their teams and who are just the best college football players returning this year in 2019. Yep. So we're, we're moving past the portal right now, which uh, not everybody is. And so if you're kind of getting sick of that and you're, you're wanting to turn the page to 2019, stay right here and, and Bip and I will have it for you here on Bowl Full of Chips. So um, like Bip said, we're going to talk about the returning players and coaches because coaches need love too, Bip. Uh, we're going to look at the most talented returning. We're going to look at the most valuable returning because Bip and I believe that there is a pretty big distinction between talented and valuable. And we're also going to look at some of the most valuable coordinator or position coaches that are returning this year, guys who did not go for a, a vertical move or who were not let go or who um, did not try the uh, the professional ranks. So um, we're also going to give you our top one or two players on both offense and defense in college football history that we wish would have stayed for one more year and how cool it would have been to see them play another season. Um, 
and we're going to give you our opinions due to the importance of team, uh, how fun they were to watch, uh, the need for their growth growth before going to the NFL. So there's a bunch of different criteria that are involved, and that's what makes this podcast so much fun is there's really no set standard or no set formula. We're kind of just uh, talking off the cusp here, and, and we hope it's enjoyable for you. So, Bip, tell us where we can find you on Twitter because uh, people say that the Twitter is is a pretty big thing with, with young kids nowadays. Yep, uh, like you said, the Twitter. Um, <laughs> I, I can be found at BFC Bip. That's BFC BIP. How about you, Chappie? Uh, well, if you're looking on the interweb, I am on the Twitter at uh, champion underscore lit. And I, I apologize. There's no uh in front of that. I'm at champion underscore lit. So we'll get that out of the way. Bip, we are 29 and a half weeks until the start of the college football season. And um, we're, we're getting right into it, man. I mean, we say how, how long it is, but it seems like... Uh, we're, we're ages ago since Clemson beat Alabama. Don't you feel that way? I mean, it seems like the bowl games were more than a month gone by. Yep. And now that we start adding the half week in our countdown, you can tell how much we're itching for this thing to get rolling. Yeah, just a bit. (laughs) (laughs) So we thank you for joining us uh, tonight. We are the podcast that gives you more than the mainstream potties do. We will throw details at you. And we back our claims with research. It's not to say that others don't, but we try to put a little bit more pride into ours. And we pay good attention to detail. We have no political agenda. We have no occupational strings that we're following. We are objective. We we tell you how we feel. And we don't have to feel that we are, are hiding behind anything or saying things because talking heads are making us do that. We're going to be both complimentary and we're going to be critical wherever we feel the need. So, Bip. Some people say that when one door closes, another one opens, or when someone closes a door, God opens a window. I don't know where that saying comes from. Frankly, if if I close a door and another one opens, I'm a little bit freaked out. Yeah, and I'm like, God dang it, I just closed this thing. What's... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Who's letting all <laughs> the if... cold air in the house? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, if someone closes a door and God opens a window, I love the big man upstairs, but I'm like, God, um, can you uh, can you close that window for me, man? It's, it's a little drafty in here. <laughs> yeah, it was closed for a reason, man. <laughs> So believe uh, we we though believe that there's always something good in every situation, and you can always point to something or someone that will bring some good, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, some fan bases and some uh, analysts are going to look at the players who are gone to the NFL draft, who left early, what a team is missing. But Bip and I are going to look forward, and we're going to give you the positive and and be proactive and and talk about the players who are returning and the and the guys who are coming back. So let's get right into it, Bip. Most talented. Tell us kind of what the word most talented or the term most talented means to you and who are some of the most talented players coming back in 2019? Well, to me, I kind of uh, use this as a little all-encompassing of who's most talented in college football this year and kind of use this as a who are NFL scouts going to be looking at as well. So when I was trying to determine my, my top three on both offense and defense, I tried to keep in mind um, potential offensive production this year, but also who is physically and athletically head and shoulders above their competition. So first guy I want to throw out there is Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Hmm. Um, now he's averaged 154 yards per game and 6.9 yards per carry in his career. And you know that he's gotten a ton of carries at Wisconsin. 
interested to see how he does this year after losing three first team all Big Ten linemen, two of those being all Americans. How's right. that going to affect his production as as poor quarterback play didn't seem to affect him much last year, but we'll see how uh, losing the the hosses up front uh, do for him as he's had those guys, you know, each of his uh, two years of his career so far. But he is uh, almost missed out or, or just barely missed out on 2000 yards again last year um, and seems to be unstoppable. So as he goes, the Badgers will go this year and uh, interested to see how his junior year plays out. Yeah. Um, second guy that I wanted to touch upon is Justin Ross. Now I may be a victim of recency here, but from what I saw in the cotton bowl and from what I saw in the national championship game, sky's the limit for this guy. He's got unbelievable size, athletic ability, uh, can jump out of the stadium and also has a great set of hands as he had a couple circus catches uh, in both, uh, playoff games. So, I think as he and Trevor Lawrence continue to develop more rapport and uh, throw to each other more frequently, I think I see his numbers just going uh, higher and higher. Um, And not to mention, Clemson has maybe the best group of receivers in the country when you consider that Ross and T. Higgins return. And they um, uh, they have another two or three other high four or five-star guys that it's just going to wreak havoc across uh, the entire ACC this year. So interested to see how high Ross's numbers go, especially in the uh, yards per catch and the touchdown categories. Yeah. And third guy. Yeah, go ahead, Chappie. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, I, I kind of laugh whenever people talk about recency bias. I mean, everybody is, is subject to recency bias. I mean, if, if you, if, if the hot girl in school comes to you and waves to you in the hall, you're going to forget about all the times that she ghosted you. You're just going to focus on uh, when she just waved to you and smiled uh, during uh, first period. So it's okay yeah, exactly. to, to have that, to have that recency bias. And you know what? Um, Ross came up big in the biggest games. I mean, he had a pretty good game against Notre Dame and then clearly had a huge game in the, in the biggest game of the year against Alabama. So uh, recency bias, you can, you can just, uh, sh- file that away and say that yeah ross is one of the most talented players coming back so who's your number three my number three i'm gonna go a little off the cuff here and i'm gonna go with brevin jordan tight end from miami um great athlete who kind of faded at the end of last year but was still third on the team in receiving uh he's one of those tight ends that uh kind of seems like more of a receiver than a true tight end uh but man he can make linebackers look silly he is a great option in the middle of the field that can really stretch defenses for someone his size um and what i'm really interested to see is uh how he plays with dan enos as enos has shown that he knows how to utilize the tight end effectively and with a potentially more wide open offense this year and with maybe tate martell uh, Jordan could eclipse the seven or 800 yard mark and maybe challenge for eight to 10 touchdowns this year. Yeah. So, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's, he's certainly somebody that is going to be on, uh, a lot of people's shortlist for the, the Mackey award for the, for the top tight end. And, you know, he's another one of those coming from that pipeline in Nevada at Bishop Gorman. Um, just, a an exciting player to watch. And, and if Martell, like you said, is, is eligible this year, the Canes, I think are going to vault up uh, many people's top 25s to start 2019. Mm-hmm. So those are the guys that stood out for me as far as most talented Chappie, who do you see as being head and shoulders above the rest of the competition on offense this year? 
Well, the the first one is pretty much everybody's pick, and that's Trevor Lawrence. But Who? you know, I, I got it. Yeah, um, he's <laughs> a he's a short haired kid from uh, I think the state of Georgia. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, he's got that Johnny Unitas haircut, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Nice crew cut. Um, now, Mr. Lawrence is just. I mean, I, I we talked about this before. I have never been so blown away by a freshman quarterback or by any quarterback really I mean he has that wow factor and it's it's not just his physical tools but just his composure and his the chill factor I mean nothing seems to to rattle this guy um you know he's he's got a clearly good head on his shoulders um you know he's going to be right there and and what's going to make him better is he's got one of the best running backs in the country right beside him we talked about Justin Ross uh one of the many threats he's going to be throwing to so Definitely one of the most talented players. I put him as my number one. Put it this way. If we had a schoolyard pick and and they said, okay, Chappie, you've got first pick. Trevor Lawrence is the first guy I'm taking on my squad. Yeah, and, and let me make it clear that I would also be going that route of taking Trevor Lawrence. As, as many NFL scouts have said that he would easily be the number one overall pick this year coming out as a, fresh, as a uh, freshman. And even coming out of high school, a lot of people were saying that he's talented enough to where he could get first day uh, or or at worst second day consideration of the NFL draft without even playing a snap in, in college. I just wanted to uh, kind of go veer away uh, from, you know, everyone's number one pick of most talented oh, sure. and Trevor Lawrence going this year. But yeah. yeah, if you and I are on the same uh, 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 playground uh, picking teams and I get the first pick, uh, you better believe that you won't have Lawrence to pick from. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, the, the low hanging uh, fruit is very sweet to me. For sure. For sure. (laughs) Um, You know, another guy in offense that I'm going to take is Tylon Wallace from Oklahoma State. Uh, He's a guy who kind of really sprung on this year and um, he wasn't on too many people's watch lists from a wide receiver uh, perspective, but in Mike Gundy's offense and, you know, the, the spread it out, throw it all around the yard. He, really came of age and had a big game against the Texas Longhorns. And um, the guy knows how to go up and get it. He's going to be coming back, I think, as maybe one of the leaders, or at least one of my leaders for the Bolitnikoff Award coming up this year. He had 86 catches this season, 1,491 yards. He had 12 touchdowns. Um, I don't know what his his target-to-catch ratio was, but, uh, I mean, the guy clearly was – a, a top target for Gundy's boys on offense. And um, you know that as long as, as the mullet is there in Stillwater, guys like Wallace are going to put up big numbers. So, um, you know, again, if I have Trevor Lawrence on my team and I want a, a, a big physical receiver to go to, I'm going to go to, and, and when I say big physical, he, he plays bigger than what he is. He's only six foot, 185 pounds, but the guy uses his body well and he goes up for, for the ball and, and, and hog ties it, brings it down. So, yeah, and he was in my in my top five or six for most valuable guys that we're going to get uh, touch upon in, in just a little bit here. He's going to be a huge factor for that uh, Cowboys offense this year, and and if they have success this year, they're going to need another another big year as he as last year's was already one of the best in the country. Um, fun fact though, his name is oddly similar to one of the Key and P Key and Peel uh, East West Shrine 
uh, names of Tyroyo right. Smoochie yeah. Wallace. You're right. <laughs> Maybe we'll so, we'll just start calling him Smoochie from here well, on out. <laughs> well, that's what I wonder is if he's already adopted that name, whether it's begrudgingly or uh, freely at uh, the campus of Oklahoma State. <laughs> nope, we're going to stamp it now. You heard it here first on Bowlful of Chips. Uh, he is Smoochie from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so who's your last uh, one, Chappie? Well, my last one, you know, I like to go off the radar every now and then, Bip. So he is not my number three most talented overall, but he is certainly one of the most talented players. And that's Reggie Corbin from the University of Illinois. And here's why. Um, I wouldn't put him as most valuable, but he is lightning when he touches the ball. He averaged 8.5 yards per carry on 128 totes of the rock this year for 1,085 yards. Uh, He had nine touchdowns caught the ball 16 times for an average of 11 yards per carry. Um, The guy is very difficult to bottle up in open space. And fortunately, when he played the Wildcats in Evanston this year, he was a little bit banged up. They weren't sure if he was going to play. And, of course, the Northwestern D under defensive coordinator Mike Hankwitz did a good job of of keeping him in contain. But uh, 8.5 yards uh, a knock, I think that was good for third or fourth in the country. I mean, that's Daryl Henderson-type numbers there, Bip. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to number two from the the Illini. Yeah, and I I was looking him up as we were uh, kind of doing some research for one of our future segments on another podcast of trying to figure out what guys we we coveted from each team. And Reggie Corbin stood out immediately as he had play he had uh, rushing plays of 77, 72, 69, 80, and 73 last year. Yeah. Like you said, lightning in a bottle. Can't believe that Illinois doesn't use him more often than what they do, but maybe that's within their plans this year. Right. Uh, well, let's get to defense um, because you know that I'm a, a defensive-minded guy. Um, mm-hmm. Who's uh, who would you take on the defensive side of the ball in for, terms of most talented? For most talented defensive, uh, first guy that I went with was Chase Young, uh, defensive end from Ohio State. Uh, um, yes. Now he is just a physical specimen. If you watch any Ohio State game. He jumps off the page immediately. Um, you know, part of that, uh, he and and uh, Draymond Jones were were really two guys that took over games this year, even without Nick Bosa on the line. And and had Chase Young been able to enter the draft this year, I'm sure that he would have had a first round grade on him. As he's one of those guys that can just make offensive tackles look silly. And for sure. I look for for a big year for him again this year uh, on that. Ohio State uh, defensive line. Yep. Second guy I want to go with is uh, Micah Parsons, uh, middle linebacker out of Penn State. Now yep. he wasn't he wasn't a full time starter until the Nittany Lions' eleventh game this season. Uh, although he wow. appeared in in each of the first ten games, but still led the team in in solo and total tackles. And I really think that he could challenge for the Big Ten and maybe even the nation's leader in tackles this year. Just uh, an unbelievable athlete, uh, has great size at uh, the middle linebacker position and adds more to the the lineage of linebacker U at uh, Penn State. Right. Uh, last guy I want to touch upon, uh, Grant Delpit from uh, safety from LSU. Um, five interceptions, uh, although interestingly enough, he only had one total yard on those five picks, but uh, also included uh nine passes defended and mm-hmm. i think five sacks as well so yeah losing greedy williams this year he's going to be of major importance to that lsu secondary as he will definitely set the tone um and uh really provide the the strength of that um tiger secondary so 
those are my three guys that were the most talented. Um, who did you have on your board? Yeah. Uh, even though I'm a big linebacker guy, if I, if we go back to that proverbial schoolyard pick, I'm taking Grant Delpit as my first guy on defense. I agree with you. The guy defended passes. He's a great tackler in open space, but he also can create havoc in the backfield as well with some of those sack and tackle for loss numbers. Um, only as a sophomore this year, he just seemed to be a natural leader back there. And, you know, when you think SEC and when you think good defensive play, Grant Delpit, number nine for LSU, is just a, a phenomenal defender. So, yeah, he's my number one. And I put him and Trevor Lawrence on the offensive side of the ball, both as the most talented and some of the most uh, valuable players on their team. Because I agree, losing Greedy Williams is is a little bit of a setback. And so that puts even more uh, weight on the shoulders of a guy like Delpit, who I think can carry that weight. Um but he's definitely going to need to be the the captain of that secondary again for Ed Orgeron and his LSU defense. So uh, my number two guy is defensive end Xavier Thomas from Clemson. And this guy is just a freak. And yes, uh, on my on my all chappy team, on my all chappy defense, I would put him and Chase Young as my two defensive ends. I think those two are clear cut All-American first teamers uh, to start 2019 even though he was not a starter last year, he still finished um, in the top four in most defensive line statistics for the Tigers. He had eight and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. He defended two passes, forced a fumble, and he also accounted for 33 tackles. And if you just look at the guy, he looks this year as a, or he looks this year as a true freshman, like somebody who was a junior or a senior. Um, he's all tatted up, just a, a walking specimen, just uh, staring across from you. If you're a, if you're a left tackle, you might want to wear the depends for that game. So the <laughs> yeah, guy's, and the guy's going to put it in you. <laughs> yeah, and, and can't blame him for not cracking the starting lineup uh, this year when you're when you're behind Cleveland Furl and Austin Bryant. I mean, if he were on just about any other team in the country, maybe Bama included, he probably would have been starting as a true freshman. Yep, absolutely. So uh, he 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 did his time, and I think that we're going to see an all-American type season from him this year, and then next year, um, you know, even bigger things. And and frankly, uh, and we can touch on this in another podcast, but I fear that he will be maybe one of those players who goes the Nick Bosa route, where we might see great things this year, and then next year maybe a limited perspective, and who knows, maybe he'll only play part of the season, getting ready for his NFL future. Yeah, maybe that injury bug strikes him a little bit early in the uh, 2020 season. Yep, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then my third guy is going back to Big Ten country, A.J. Epinesa from Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, this guy, uh, he's a second-generation Hawkeye, um, 6'5", 277 pounds, the guy is just a freak at defensive end. He had 10.5 sacks this year, 16.5 tackles for loss. Um, he knocked down three passes. He recovered a fumble, forced four of them. Um, he had a, a fumble recovery for a touchdown this season. He just, you look across the line, and uh, fortunately, the, really the, the one game that I saw him subdued this year was against my Wildcats, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, the guy is, he's, He's a great edge rusher. He's just tall. He's big. He poses a lot of problems for offensive linemen and quarterbacks trying to throw around or through him. Yeah, and he maybe had his best game of the year against their biggest rival in Iowa State when he had two sacks and a forced fumble. Um, right. 
really, uh, I tip my hat to, to him and, and really anyone else who stays home or follows the family lineage as uh, Epinesa had offers from just about every big boy in the country. But to stay home and go to Iowa, I, I, I really uh, enjoy when yeah. I see stories like that as, as he's really yeah. uh, provided a, a shot in the arm of that uh, Hawkeye defense. Sure. And, um, you know, he'll be obviously draft eligible next year. I think this will be his final year playing college football. There are a lot of people who feel that if he was eligible to come out this year, he would likely be a first or second round draft pick. So watch, watch for number 94 for the Hawkeyes. Well, that's our most talented. Now let's get in the most valuable BIP. And to me, most valuable is, um, their presence can really swing a team's fortune. So when they're in the lineup, their team is likely to do really well. If they're out of the lineup, it spells a lot of doom. So you might look at some of the most talented players, guys like maybe Jerry Judy or Rondell Moore or, um, you know, uh, some of the guys that you mentioned, like Micah Parsons, Chase Mm -hmm. Young, but you take them out of the lineup and they're, they're at the factories where, there's still going to be talent to just plug in and there's enough talent around them. But some of these guys that we're going to talk about, you take them out of the lineup and all of a sudden you hear screeching tires and the fan base is really starting to pucker up on the backside. So um, allow me to start this time. I'll give yeah. you mine and we'll go, we'll, we'll throw a little curveball here. We're starting on the defensive side this time. Okay. My, my, one of my most valuable defensive players is Tipa Galei from Utah state. Now this is a guy who started off at TCU and Gary Patterson and that defensive prowess that they're known for there in uh, Fort Worth. He had 64 tackles, 10 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles. He had two interceptions. One included was a pick six. And then he had, um, three uh, pass breakups last year as well for that Utah State team that really ran the tables throughout the regular season. And if it weren't for a first game loss against uh, Michigan State and then they stubbed their toe against Boise State toward the end, we're looking at a possible uh, group of five crasher for college football in 2018. So he he mans the middle for that Utah State defense this year and, and new or renewed head coach Gary Anderson has got a good one there in the middle for the, for the Aggies. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy staying out on the West coast is Colin Schooler linebacker from the Arizona Wildcats. He had 119 tackles this year, 72 of them were solo. And that's a lot. I mean, 72 solo tackles. There are some leading tacklers from some defenses who don't make 72 total tackles. So this guy is a really good uh, person in space to, to bring down a lot of the speed and a lot of the uh, high flying offenses that we see in the PAC 12. He also chimed in with three and a half sacks, a forced fumble, two interceptions, and four pass breakups. He's got the long flowing hair. Um, he just kind of looks like one of those prototypical Arizona linebackers that we've been used to seeing uh, on and off throughout the last 20 years. Um, so number seven for the Wildcats, he's another guy that I like on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and he also had an astounding 21 and a half tackles for loss, which is just unbelievable this year. Yeah, yep. So thanks for the pickup on that one, Bip. Um, sticking with number seven, my last defensive guy who's most valuable is Ronnie Perkins for the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, if you look at his stats, they're not eye-opening. He only had 37 tackles. Granted, he was from a rush and slash outside linebacker position, but he did have five sacks and a, and a pass defended. I think he's going to be one of those guys this year who he's got all American written all over him. If he has a defense perform around him. Now they did bring in Alex Grinch from Ohio state. And before that he 
did some good things with Mike Leach at Washington State running their defense two years ago. But if uh, if Ronnie Perkins can really set the tone up front and and be even more of a force in opposing backfields, I think that number one Oklahoma is going to have a, a much better season than people are already thinking they're going to have. But I think that defense is going to be much improved as well. So look out for Ronnie Perkins for the Sooners this year. Yeah, and they're going to need to improve a lot of things on defense as that uh, that was really their Achilles heel last year. And they sure. were lucky to have Kyler Murray to, to – uh, you know, bail them out of a lot of uh, tough situations that their defense put them in. So I like those yeah. three. And, um, you know, just, just one last point to touch on here a bit. One of the biggest Achilles on the defense for Oklahoma was in their secondary, but I think a big part of that was maybe a lack of a pass rush and a lack of a force getting to opposing quarterbacks. So sure. if, if guys like Perkins can um, up the sack totals and up the, the pressure and the hurries on, on that front, that secondary is going to be a lot better this year. They bring three of their four defensive backs coming back this year. They're going to be a little bit more uh, capable this season and certainly having help from guys like Perkins up front are going to make them uh, even more formidable on the, on the back. And I think that we're definitely going to see a better Oklahoma defense this year. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, where I went on the defensive side of the ball for for uh, most important to their team or most most valuable, uh, I'll start off with Andre Cisco, safety from Syracuse, tied for the uh, lead in interceptions last year as a true freshman. Also had nine passes defended. Just an elite uh, player in their secondary for a team uh, in Syracuse that doesn't normally have a whole lot of elite talent. Um, now they're, they're getting to be there a lot more with Dino Babers, but this is a guy that if Cisco wasn't there last year, you have to wonder if Syracuse still has their, their total, uh, wins that they had, um, last year. So I look for him to be once again, the leader of that secondary. And And he was uh, a freshman last year, by the way. So all these great numbers and, and this great value coming from a first year player. Yeah. True freshman at that. So sure. Um, now sticking with that, and, and I, I normally don't like labeling freshmen, especially true freshmen, as most valuable to their team. But right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Derek Stingley from LSU, um, as he's the the number one overall guy in the uh, rivals rankings this year. Cornerback going to LSU, and with the losses that LSU had defensively, they're going to need this uber talented corner to to hit the ground running and, and pick up the slack left up behind by by Greedy Williams. I think mm-hmm. Stingley could have the ability to do that, like we've seen in previous years um, at LSU at Alabama, to where cornerback seems to be one of those positions to where if you're one of these um, amazingly athletic and, and talented defenders coming out of high school, you could potentially make the jump and still make a name for yourself. So I think Stingley could have the potential to hit the ground running. And if he can pick up uh, the slack, e- even if it's, you know, 80% of the slack of where uh, they lose from greedy Williams, I think they got uh, a good thing going for them in uh, Baton Rouge. And he's certainly going to get picked on early because Christian Fulton on the other side was a top 12 national recruit a couple of years ago. Pretty good corner on the opposite side of the field. So you know that early on teams are going to go after that true freshman. And I agree. I think Steenley is certainly going to have his opportunities to, to make a name for himself. Right. Uh, last guy I want to touch upon is uh, Kenny Willekes, uh defensive end from Michigan State. Good call. Uh, Good call. First on the team in sacks, fourth on the team in tackles, which is really impressive for a defensive end. Yeah. Um, 
they're really going to lean on him and Raekwon Williams this year um, and, and the rest of that defense because I don't see how that offense is going to be much improved from last year's team. And last year, they just looked putrid, especially at the end of the year. They got to get their quarterback play fixed. Um, but as, as they showed in their games down the stretch, they can win a seven to six game. They can win a 10 to three game. And, and that's really in their wheelhouse. So if they're going to keep doing that and they're going to continue to have poor offensive play, Willikis and company are really going to have to step it up once again this year. Yeah, and it's funny, if you look at some of the Michigan State uh, final scores this year, you were thinking that you were looking at the uh, 1956 Michigan State team <laughs> with yeah, some of those low scores. So, yeah. um, And I think, if, if I'm getting the guy correct, Willikus is a guy who I believe was a walk-on at one point and really wasn't recruited by any Power 5 schools or any Division One schools. He went on a recruiting visit, and I don't know who the, the kid was who he went with, um, but he kind of tagged along with one of his buddies. And uh, the coaches were like, well, who is this guy? Because he was you know, a decent-sized body. And so they said, well, uh, did you play? Send us some tape. They watched him, and they said, yeah, we think we can have you fit in. And, yeah, the guy's a monster. I mean, like yeah. you said, number one in sacks, number four in tackles. Um Coming back, and frankly, I was a little surprised he did not jump to the NFL. So good for him, and and good for Michigan State and their fan base to see him come back for another year. Yeah, he seems to be the the typical story of defensive talent from Michigan State, as as they tend to get a lot of the the bigger defensive tackles and talented defensive tackles, some of the the defensive ends as well. But um, you know, their 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 rush ends and their linebackers, they have a long history of of either being not recruited at all or being very lightly recruited and credit to that coaching staff. They always have a nose for talent. Yeah, they do. And that's where I I'm not, I'm not convinced yet that D'Antonio is completely crazy. He, in my opinion, he may have, he maybe should have replaced one or two coaches, but um, he's done enough good things, especially on the defensive side of the ball to, uh, legitimize any decision that he makes. So jury's still out on him, maybe in East Lansing, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially with the stories that we've seen with guys like Willikis and Joe Bocci and Raekwon Williams and um, even some more of the un- more undersung heroes that they have on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think he was crazy for not uh, doing making any big changes on the offensive side of the ball, but he does deserve the benefit of the doubt. Um, and this isn't a make or break year for him necessarily as he's not on the hot seat and won't be anytime soon uh, in Michigan state, but this will be the tipping point of if that offense doesn't get um, figured out and and fixed, then there's going to be, there should be a a house cleaning after this year in East Lansing. Well, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's kind of a closed door meeting for him to say, look, we've got the non-conference season. If our numbers are not up, if we're not averaging 35 points a game, I've already got somebody else in the wings. And Or even if he doesn't tell his coaching staff this, you've got to think that D'Antonio's got a contingency plan and plan B to say, okay, um, we're going to promote this guy or we're going to let this guy go and have this person call and we're going to start the search now. Because like you said, um, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, – a lot of urgency on that offensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, I mean, even if they have to call back uh, Bobby Williams or John L. Smith, I mean, something's got to be done. <laughs> I know you said that you think he's crazy, but let's not go Bobby Williams crazy. <laughs> and John L. crazy, he just got fired from a Division II school. Well, you know, just to let you know how th- how bad things are in, at uh, <laughs> right. MSU offensively. So oh, Okay, a bit so, of hyperbole. I like it. <laughs> so to spin things over to the offensive side of the ball, I'll give you my uh, top three most valuable offensive players going into 2019. Please do. First and foremost, I, I think this this guy might be the most important player to his team uh, in the entire country, potentially, and that's Derek King out of Houston. Thank you. Yep, I, <laughs> I have him the same, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, Houston lost both games after King was lost for the season, and they really didn't have much of a punch on offense at all. I mean, a lot of people no. saw their their Army their game against Army in the bowl game, and that was just oh, embarrassing. They- they played against Army. I thought Army was just uh, in warmups in that game. Well, they they flew out and got the the swag bag and whatnot. So, okay. um, uh, King uh, passed for over twenty nine hundred uh, yards, rushed for over six hundred fifty, and had fifty touch uh, total touchdowns. So, yep. uh, you have to figure that if he wasn't lost in those last two games, they're completely different ball games. I really would have been interested to see what Houston looked like against Army if King were uh, at the helm. And I'm almost certain that uh, Major Applewhite would still be coaching down in Houston. Um, yep. So, so he was my number one. Um, number two, I wanted to go with uh, Muhammad Ibrahim out of Minnesota. Uh, freshman running back last year, eclipsed over 1,000 yards. Uh, the key stat that I took away, the – Golden Gophers were four and one last year when he rushed for over a hundred yards. Zero and five when he didn't. So mm-hmm. um, now, though, as it, for those mathematicians out there, those numbers don't exactly match up. Uh, there were a few games he didn't play in. So going into twenty nineteen, I like to I, I would like to think that they would lean on him more, um, even though they do have a couple uh, decent quarterbacks and uh, some nice receivers. I think that uh, they'll probably lean on him um, going into 2019, and I see him as being an important piece to Minnesota success going into the season. Yeah, and they've got two backs who were ahead of him to start this year, Shannon Brooks and Rodney Smith, who many were saying was the maybe the, the top one-two punch in the country in terms of um, you know, running back tandems, uh, all things considered, but both of them went down with injuries and will be back this year. So that's going to be a loaded backfield. Of course, they came back from uh, lower body injuries, so it's going to be tough for them to be 100%. But yeah, now they've got to fight off Ibrahim and um, certainly one of the better backs in the conference going into 2019. Right. And, and pairing uh, that potential rushing game with Johnson Bateman and that uh potential passing game that they have uh the minnesota offense could be firing on all cylinders this year so um you mean mean rowing with all oars in in the water (laughs) i try to avoid that analogy whenever possible (laughs) oh you're not sick of it yet (laughs) (laughs) even even if we weren't uh chippewas i would be sick of it for sure (laughs) right yeah so uh, (laughs) last guy i wanted to touch upon is uh jared rice uh tight end from fresno state um I see him as being a a really big part of that Fresno State passing game this year as Keyshawn Johnson graduated, uh, leaving Rice um, as the leading returning receiver for the Bulldogs. Last year, he had 55 catches for 664 yards and three touchdowns. You have to think that he'll have an even more expanded role going into this year. Um, Decent sized tight end, got some good speed on him, nice hands. Um, And and I I think that... uh, 
considering the fact that he will be their their leading returning receiver could carve out a really nice role in that uh, bulldog offense yeah and, and you got to feel good as any receiver or a tight end in a jeff tedford led offense too at fresno state yeah exactly so, so rice rice baby <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to look at uh, my most valuable, and I'm going to take one of your most talented. So uh, Jonathan Taylor, and here's what I mean by that. I Looking at their, their results this year, the Badgers were 6-1 and one when he scored a touchdown. So, um, you know, he had 16 of them this season, and things were going well when he got across the plane. But they were just 2-4 and four when he didn't score. Um, you know, he rushed for over 2000 yards this season. He averaged 7.1 yards per carry, but there were clearly things not going right when Mr. Taylor couldn't get it going. And, um, the other thing that I want to throw out there is when he hangs onto the ball, things are a lot better. He had a a plague of fumbles this season. And when he puts the ball on, on the turf, uh, his mental games start going through his head and he's not nearly as effective. So I think that if, if he's clicking on all cylinders this year and he comes back from, um, you know, maybe some of those slumps that he had in 2018, I think that the Badgers are going to be right back as a force to reckon with in the Big Ten West. But a lot of it's going to rely on him, especially uh, as they get their quarterback situation figured out. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that assessment for sure. Um. I, I agree 100% on De'Eric King, and he was actually my number one. Um, but I, I don't want to rehash a lot of the stats that you threw out there. But, you know, 63% of his passes completed for just under 3,000 yards. He ran for 674, 50 total touchdowns. That's 36 on the ground, or in, through the air, 14 on the ground, only throwing six picks. And um, if you had a chance to watch his replacement, Clayton Toon, He's going to be a, a pretty good quarterback in the future, but he struggled this year, and that offense is certainly nothing without him. And you got to think with Dana Holgerson calling things on the offensive side of the ball, man, is he going to be even more exciting? Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking of you know some of the similar dynamic type quarterbacks that we saw under West Virginia, um, not when Holgerson was a head coach there, but um, you know uh, that similar style offense, which he he kind of mirrors a little bit, and um, you know, King set up for a, a pretty exciting season this year. But again, if he's not healthy or if he goes down, uh, they they might have to lean on one of their one of their younger guys. Mm-hmm. The last guy that I want to talk about as being most valuable on offense bip is Kellen Hopkins, a quarterback from Army, who really, for all intents and purposes, is like a running back in that offensive scheme that Jeff Munkin runs. He ran for 1,017 yards, which is 4.9 per carry, but he scored 17 touchdowns on the ground. He also threw for over 1,000 yards, which was a little bit surprising to me. He threw for a total of 1,026, six total touchdowns. And when you consider that last year, Army, I think, only threw the ball maybe 19 times. I think it was less than 20. Um, You know, that was pretty remarkable. So they opened up the playbook a little bit, but this is a guy who – I put him as valuable because running that offense, you need a guy who knows the offense, who who can make the reads, a guy who's tough both mentally and physically, and that's exactly what you've got in Kellen Hopkins. And, you know, we've talked about this before. I have a soft spot for our service academies, and to see them do well and to see the season the Army had last year it really makes you feel that extra sense of patriotism that not only do we have uh, good young men in our and women in our uh 
armed forces, but uh, to see them excel in other areas of life, kind of like Kellen Hopkins does, it's, it's, it's really a cool thing to see. And Bip, I got to tell you, I can't wait to see that Army game in Ann Arbor against Michigan in As late September I. this year. Um, and if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I am calling the Oklahoma coaching staff and I'm watching that film multiple times and, and trying to pinpoint what the heck did they do um, that gave Oklahoma problems and what do we have to do in these next uh, seven or eight months to combat against that because Army will have played one or two games and they'll have a little momentum going uh, forward. And Michigan, uh, I don't have my schedule in front of me, but I, I know that they don't necessarily open up with any um, you know world beaters in the, in the first couple of games. So do they kind of get lulled to sleep a little bit? Uh, but if I'm Harbaugh on staff, I am preparing for Army before I'm preparing for anybody else before them on that schedule. Yeah, and it's always difficult, regardless of what school, um, to prepare for a triple option, regardless of who's running it. Even last year's Navy team, that's one of those games that you always hold your breath if you're playing um, – you know, the Air Force, Army or Navy, regardless of what the record is, because it's incredibly difficult. It's a completely different offense that you see. It's it's very physical. It's one of those to where if you have two or more turnovers on your side of the ball, uh, you put yourself in a real big hole because time of possession is critical in these games. Um, Army can churn out the yards um, and they can they can really put you in a in a, a bad spot. So, yeah, how Hopkins does this year, I'll be really interested to see. Didn't know that he threw for over a thousand yards. That's very impressive for anyone running a triple option. Yeah, at first I was checking to see if that was like his high school uh, grand total, but uh, no, it was 2018 at Army. So <laughs> um, and I, I was mistaken. They do play Michigan. Uh, the first weekend in September, so their second game, September 7th, uh, Michigan opens up at home against Middle Tennessee State. Not exactly a uh, a, a team that's going to prepare them too well. But then again, uh, Army opens up with Rice at home. So and both teams are going to get their first big test in game two. Now, Michigan's next game is at Wisconsin. However, they do have a bye in between. So they should have adequate uh, time to prepare for Army. And right. given the fact that Army should be potentially ranked at that point, I see uh, Harbaugh lining up and, like you mentioned, doing whatever he can in the offseason to prepare for that triple option to see what they can do to slow it down a little bit, especially uh, Hopkins. Yeah, and damn it, Army needs to be – they deserve to be ranked to start the season. They should be ranked going into that Michigan game. Uh, I don't care what Rice looks like, and I don't care what happens, uh, barring a loss uh, for the, the Black Knights in week one. So it yeah, would be a really cool thing more. to see. Yeah, it would be, it'd be cool to see a, a ranked matchup between Michigan and Army in September. Who would have thought we'd be talking about that five years ago? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's get to coaches because, like I said, coaches, uh, you know, the players are the one who do the, the great things on the field, but the coaches deserve a lot of credit for kind of choreographing and corresponding the uh, the synergy and the symmetry that goes on both on offensive and defensive sides of the ball. So um, let's look at offensive coaches. Uh, if, if you have those, Bip, who are some offensive coordinators or offensive coaches that you look at and say they bring great value to their program? Yeah, so I uh, went with with I cheated a little bit and went with one of the uh, Clemson offensive coordinators in uh, Jeff Scott. Now, yeah, obviously the results on the field speak for themselves, um, but more importantly, he is Clemson's recruiting coordinator, 
And the amount of talent that he's been able to get on the offensive side of the ball uh, is just unbelievable. And and you look at some of the the names of guys that he's gotten recently, T. Higgins um, before he transferred, Hunter Johnson, Tavian Feaster, Justin Ross. uh, Right. Highly uh, touted receiver coming in this year, Joseph Nada. Um, I mean, he just brings so much uh, offensive talent to the side of the ball um, or to that side of the ball and then gets to utilize them as as effectively as him and, and Elliot do. Um, so I really uh, look for big things for him in the future. Surprised that he hasn't really jumped ship yet, as you would think that yeah, a lot of too. teams would be knocking down his door. Uh, for both reasons that I mentioned, he's a good offensive mind, and maybe even more importantly, the guy can just flat out recruit. Um, yeah, and I think that speaks volumes to the culture that Dabo Sweeney is is building there. I mean, you've got these high profile coordinators and position coaches who are being heavily sought after, even for head coaching jobs, and they're saying, "No, I'm good where I'm at right now. I, I like this place." And um, I mean, that's great if you're a Clemson fan. That's scary as hell if you're a, a Clemson opponent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now um, he's the only offensive coach that uh, I came up with uh, that that stayed with teams this year. I was I did want to include um, Mike Yursich from Oklahoma State. But he uh, jumped ship to um, Ohio, Ohio State, State to be their yeah, passing coordinator. That. So right. big, big get for for the Buckeyes. But um, so that limited me um, right. off, offensively. But how about you? Who did you end up with uh, for the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, in terms of guys who are a guy who stayed, um, and I don't know how how much he was sought after, but Troy Walters for Nebraska, the offensive coordinator, um, as as rough as their start was losing their first six games, they were still one of the offensive juggernauts and and they finished this year 25th in total offense um, and have a lot of that coming back next year. And we'll, we'll get more into that when we look at the big 10 preview, but even at UCF two years prior, they were 15th in total offense um, in their undefeated season. They were 66th the season before that when they went six and six, but that's he brought them up from 125th. So he moved them up 59 spots on offense. The guy knows his offense. He was a Stanford grad, played under um, Ty Willingham, I believe, when when the Cardinal went to the Rose Bowl, when Stanford really started to resurge and become a, a power in the Pac-12. Pac-10 back at that point, but you know he's he's a good players coach. He's very smart, very knowledgeable, and I know that Scott Frost has a lot of influence in that offense. But Troy Walters runs it very very well. I think he's a guy who you could see as maybe the next big time head coach at um, a, a Group of Five school looking to get there. You know his next shot. So, and in terms of guys who maybe didn't stay, but, but took a, a promotional move. And that's where this one was tough to, to look at those coaches who stayed, even though they were sought after. Um, Kendall Bryles, I think, is a big, big hire for Florida State. Um, you look at his numbers as an offensive coordinator. They were sixth in total offense this year when he was the OC at Houston. Um, at Florida Atlantic the year before, he was ninth in total offense. And then at Baylor the prior two years, sixth and first overall in total offense. So I think Bryles was a home run hit for the uh, Seminoles. And then I agree with you, Mike Yersich at o- Oklahoma State, who who goes ahead to uh, join Ryan Day in that offensive force at Ohio State. And then also, sorry to say, Georgia fans, but Jim Cheney, that was a big loss for them, uh, him going to Tennessee and joining Pruitt's staff. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, wonder how how he can turn that uh, Tennessee offense around as he's got some decent talent to work with, but not nearly the level of what he had at Georgia. So how how right. he can utilize that uh, lesser amount of talent um, will be interesting to see this year um, at Tennessee. And and for those who maybe are not aware, he was the offensive coordinator under Joe Tiller when Drew Brees was setting all kinds of records at Purdue. So the guy the guy can coach, and he can certainly coach quarterbacks. So good news for Jarrett Guarantano at uh, in Knoxville. Right. Um, do you have anybody on the defensive side of the ball, Bip, that uh, you think brings value in, in um, either who stayed this year or who uh, is just valuable wherever they're at? Yeah, this was an easy choice for me. Uh, I got to go with Don Brown from Michigan. Um, yep. He finished first, third, and second uh, each of the last three years, respectively, in yards per game allowed on defense. And uh, the year before he arrived at Michigan, he was at Boston College where they were first in the country in yards per game allowed. So yeah. uh, unbelievable job that he's able to do at multiple stops with different levels of talent. Um, and while he was at Boston College, you could see that defense getting better and better every year um, until he was then uh, elevated to the position that where he's at at Michigan. I really thought that he would have been a great choice uh, at Temple to take over uh, both both times, really, (laughs) Um, and was hoping that he would be snapped up away from the Wolverines. But um, with him at the helm, Michigan's defense is always going to be nasty, regardless of what amount of talent level leaves for the draft and what amount of talent level uh, graduates. So he was my number one. Uh, My number two, I'm going to go with Mike Elko. Uh, defense coordinator from Texas A&M. Now, the Aggies made some good strides defensively from 2017 to 2018. Um, and, and I see Texas A&M on the short list of teams that can rise to the level of Bama and Clemson, potentially, with Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher at the helm. But if they have any thoughts of doing that and following through on that, they will need Elko to stay, and they'll need him to leave his mark on that defense and, and improve it sooner than later as he's one of those guys that if A&M has a big year this year and their defense looks good, he'll be on the short list of coaches to make the jump to a head coaching position. So I think this is a really important year for him and a really important year for A&M as if they can come away with uh, elevating themselves to a top 10 team with uh, Jimbo Fisher and his uh, propensity to be able to recruit, I think, a&M is a team that's definitely on the upswing that could really start challenging the big dogs in the SEC. Yeah, and especially given the resources that they have and just that talent pool right. that they've got in the, in the great state of Texas. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, both good calls. And, you know, it's funny. I look at Don Brown, and he always reminds me of, like, that jaded uh, – social studies teacher who's just trying to run out the clock like you'd see him in the teacher's lounge just with the, <laughs> the newspaper in front of him just like damn kids <laughs> the mustache and the old man look but the guy can coach man that's for sure yeah absolutely um, uh yeah i i agree with don brown he was one of mine that is definitely most valuable i mean when you can go from the number one defense at one school and then continue it at another school um, and you know, sometimes people will look at that and say, how do you, how do you run the number one defense at a school like Boston college? No disrespect to the Eagles and to right. Chestnut Hill and what they do, but you know, it's not necessarily one of the first schools that jumps out when you think, uh, total defense, but he did it there. And then he comes here and, and, and he's done a great job with the Wolverines. And, um, I think Michigan fans, uh, can, 
justifiably, you know, have a, a big sigh of relief that he did not go to Temple or he didn't get snatched up by another one of those jobs. And quite frankly, I don't know how old Don Brown is, but uh, I thought I, I was wondering if the age was maybe a, a deterrent to some of those schools because you see the trend of wanting to go younger, wanting to go a little bit more energetic and whatnot. Regardless of how great a, a defensive coordinator that Don Brown is, I wonder if that might be a limiting factor for him in getting uh, a call. But then again, at a at an AA school like Temp, AAC school like Temple, um, they really can't be, um, you know, pickers as, right. as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah. He's 63. So that, that was probably a big factor. If he were 50 or even 55, I'm sure they would have right. been knocking down his doors. He's from, uh, Massachusetts. So he knows the area and obviously he knows the surrounding, uh, high schools having, uh, coached at, uh, BC for a while. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, my other guy that I went with, and it's going to seem like a homer pick, but Mike Hankowitz from Northwestern. And mm-hmm. hear me out on this one. He Northwestern has been successful the last four years, mainly because they've had a very good defense. And if you look at where Mike Hankowitz has been his whole career, he was at Kansas when Glenn Mason was there in the mid-90s, and they had a top-10 defense, and they were actually a top-10 team in the country. Uh, then he went to... Uh, you know, he's been to Texas A&M, he's been to Wisconsin. So he's left, he's been at Colorado when all those teams were flirting with top 10 rankings. So wherever he's been, defenses have played well. And uh, the overall performance of those teams have, have gone, um, you know, really on the upswing. And so you ask most Northwestern people and they'll say, you know, if you ask them aside from coach Fitzgerald, who's the most valuable member of that program, it's going to be Mike Hankwitz. And you got to love a guy who, uh, coaches defense well, but also gives you that Walter White look on the sidelines. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's definitely Coach Hank uh, for that one. But again, um, he's getting up there in age as well, so uh, not really a threat to be a head coach somewhere. But you you kind of wonder how much longer does he have? And so the talk around Northwestern circles is who's going to be the next one who's who he's kind of grooming to to be uh, Hank 2.0, so to speak. So. Um, yeah, that the the lifeblood of that uh, Wildcats defense and their calling card is, you know, as you know or are well aware of, has always been their defense. And for right. him to be able to uh, shut down so many high-powered offenses uh, with a, you know, from the outside looking in, talent disparity – uh, yeah. in the big 10 uh, and, and to be able to, to coach his guys up similar to Don Brown while he was at BC. I mean, yeah. it, it, you have to, it, you always wonder how can you get such good production out of your defense when you're at such a disadvantage from uh, the talent level uh, that you have uh, coming into the university. So, uh, and he does it by being simple. You know, a lot of times people think that the, the new way of playing defense is to be aggressive and blitz and play man-to-man coverage and and really just try and get in the face of, of an offense. And, and he's kind of the opposite. And he says, we're just going to sit back, keep everything in front of us. We're just going to play so we don't make mistakes. We'll, we'll give up chunks of yardage. And so if you look at Northwestern's defensive stats, they don't blow you out of the water, but that's because they're telling their guys and they're coaching them to say – 
give up the hitch in front of you, give up the slant, just don't let them get behind you. And then mm-hmm. they lock down once a team gets inside the 40. And so they were one of the better red zone defenses in the country this year, especially in terms of giving up touchdowns. I think that they allowed teams to only score 45% of the time a touchdown when they're inside the red zone, which is a pretty pretty uh, staggering number when you're looking at it from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, let's get now to go back in history a little bit and – there have been guys who, I mean, this year we saw a record number, I think 132 underclassmen declare for the NFL draft. And so that means more and more guys are not returning to play their final season or two in college. So in history, Bip, who are a couple of guys, both on offense and defense, who you feel you would have loved personally to see them stay another year? Let's start with the offensive side. Now, uh, this first one, I'm going to um, put the caveat out there that I was not old enough to watch him uh, firsthand as uh, Barry Sanders uh, had his Heisman Trophy season when I was at the age of one. However, (laughs) I would have loved to have been able to go back in time as I do right now to see what his 1989 stats would have been, as in, in 88. Granted, this was his junior year, his first year of starting because Thurman Thomas happened to be on the the, uh, roster at the same time as him. He had four games with over 300 yards rushing and another game where he went for 293. He had six games with four or more touchdowns, not including the bowl game in which he had 222 yards and five touchdowns. And I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey did not break Barry's all-purpose yard record. McCaffrey did that in 13 games, including the conference championship game. Barry did it at 11. So all things equal, Barry still holds that record, in my opinion. Um, Because even if you take away McCaffrey's conference championship game, which shouldn't be included in the stats anyways, uh, Mm -hmm. Barry holds it over him. So um, one one of the stories that I always love hearing is is Barry Switzer talking to uh, his defense as they were playing Oklahoma State, and he said to them along the lines of that the running back on the opposing team, Thurman Thomas, he's their All American back. Do not get him hurt because we do not want to see their backup coming in the game. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I love that story. So. And- and to put it into perspective how good Barry was, uh, being that we live in the Detroit area area, um, and how bad our, our professional sports team is, when you talk to Lions fans about the glory days and, and about their football team, more than half of us talk about Barry Sanders, and he was done more than a decade ago. So um, just speaks volumes of, of his value to the game. Yeah, so I, I would have loved to have seen how much better he could have gotten in 89, uh, considering sure. how good he was in 88. So there's my number one. Number two, I'm going to have a little bit of a homer pick and go with Antonio Brown. Um, now, he left at, oh, nice. He left after his junior year at Central Michigan. He had 93 catches or more in all three of his years in Mount Pleasant. Um, now, he may have had the right idea of leaving after um, 2009 as um, all Central Michigan quarterback Dan Lefevre graduated that year, and the chips went 3-9 and nine in 2010. So for selfish, reason, selfish reasons, I really wanted to see him return for his senior year. Um, but what jumps out at me when, when looking at his numbers and remembering back of what kind of receiver he was, he really wasn't the breakaway guy that, uh, you see today, um, in the NFL as he only averaged 10 and a half yards per reception in his career. 
And that's mainly because he had 305 catches in three seasons. I mean, it seemed like he had about 10 catches a game. And, you know, as as Lefevre and the chips would march the ball down the field, um, Brown would have his name called at least a couple times in every uh, touchdown drive. So but he also returned punts and kicks and had five uh, total uh, return touchdowns. So he was just amazing to see especially in Mount Pleasant where there's not a whole lot of big time talent that you get to see come through there. So man, I miss those days of Lefevre and Brown. Yeah. Right. Um, and then real quick, uh, honorable mention, uh, I'm going to throw a plug for my favorite player of all time, Jimmy Clausen. Um, you know, had he stayed for his senior year, he, the pickles yeah, guy? yeah. <laughs> if he had stayed one more year, he could have helped deliver on one of those national championships that he guaranteed at the college football hall of fame during his, uh, commitment ceremony to the Irish. But I just really enjoyed yeah. seeing him. He was, he was awesome to watch play. Didn't have the measurables in the NFL, but man, he came prepared when he, uh, made the jump from high school to college and that ball really jumped out of his hands. Um, so seeing him yeah. throw it to Tate, Samarja, Stovall, uh, McKnight um, was were some of my favorite uh, games of of being a Notre Dame fan. So had to throw him in there as an yeah. honorable mention. Yeah, he was definitely a gamer. I mean that uh, he he brought it. So uh, that's a good call, Bip. That's a good so call. So those are those are really my my one two and and two A. Uh, but who do you wish, Chappie, that would have stayed around a little more so that us college football fans would have been able to experience just one more season? Well, I want to I wanna show our fans that I am not completely jaded and that I can be objective and, and give credit where credit is due. You're not going to so pick a Wolverine, a are you? Sh- uh, well, you might want to plug your ears for this next one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our loyal listener, Dave here. And I'm going to say that one of my guys is Desmond Howard from Michigan. Um, now this was back when I first started getting really into college football. He was just a fun player to watch regardless of what team he mm-hmm. played for. Uh, his Heisman season in 1991, his team was 10 and two. They finished number six in the country. Um, He had 19 receiving touchdowns, averaging 15.9 per catch. He also um, averaged 27.5 yards returning kicks with a touchdown. He also had a 14.1-yard punt return average, and that world-famous touchdown that he scored against the Buckeyes and struck the Heisman pose, which really started um, that whole thing, and and it kind of got watered down by people afterwards, even guys who had no business even near the Heisman. But – he was somebody who I thought would be cool to see come back for one more year. And certainly Wolverine fans would have loved to see that because he would have been on the team with Derek Alexander, Tyrone Wheatley for one more year. They would have lost Elvis Gerbach, but Todd Collins was a serviceable uh, replacement. And I think that Michigan um, could have really, really been an even bigger prominent national figure. They finished that season, I think, um, Eight zero and three. That was a year where they had three ties. I mean, uh, that's almost unheard <laughs> of in in today's modern game. But um, yeah, he he definitely so, brought yeah. a, a a level of flair to college football. Um, you know, back when that really wasn't much of a thing, and that uh, it's always a testament to when a player can can do something like striking the Heisman pose and have it be something that's mm-hmm. copied. Even as we go into twenty eighteen, guys still do it all the time. Um, my only question is, can we trade one more year of him in college football, uh, for him not appearing on college game day, college game day for the rest of the, uh, well, I was, foreseeable future? 
I was I was gonna get to that. Yeah, he <laughs> uh, he definitely <laughs> was. He was he was a much better uh, performer on the field than he has been lately for the the game day crew. And uh, Bip and I uh, might uh, might let the cat out of the bag a little bit. We we might have a a podcast coming up where we break down some of the broadcasts and, and the game day uh, production and, and what we think should should go on. Um, but uh, yeah, Des was certainly fun to watch on the field. Um, my next one is under the Mike Leach era back in Lubbock, Texas. And that was Michael Crabtree who left after just two seasons. Um, he he kind of lit the, the world on fire as a true freshman, but then in 2008, his last season in college football, he had 200 and, or um, he, he helped the red Raiders get to as high as a number two ranking. They were 11 and two. He finished his two year career in Lubbock with 231 catches for 41 touchdowns. Um, and he finished fifth in the Heisman in his sophomore season. I just thought that it was a cool story to see a program like Texas Tech really put it to some of those blue bloods. That Texas game where he caught that pass and and won the game for the Red Raiders was one of the ones that stands out in my memory as, as my most fun games I've ever watched all time. Um, he would have been cool to see for one more year in the in the black and red. Yeah, and, and that was coming off the heels of Larry Fitzgerald. So we were really spoiled as college football fans of such dominant receivers yeah. like Crabtree and Fitzgerald just catching touchdowns at an enormous rate. And like you mentioned, that yeah. Texas game, I remember being at a, a college party and wasn't able to see most of the game and you know it's somehow I happened to be at the right place at the right time and there happened to be a tv on showing that game and the only uh play that I saw was that catch that he made where he tight roped the sideline and I couldn't believe what mm-hmm. I was seeing it was unbelievable Yep, and I can already see you with the uh, Admiral Nelson and Coke-filled uh, red Solo cup glass there. <laughs> yeah, I may have <laughs> taken a few rides with the Admiral in my day. <laughs> well, he, he's a good co-pilot. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to give uh, one little honorable mention to Benny Snell for Kentucky. I, I really wish he would have come back this year because I think Kentucky is a much better team with him there. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who say that the Wildcats rode his coattails this year, and maybe uh, that's a fair point. But if he's back this year for um, for the Wildcats, I think that that's a much different Kentucky team than we might possibly see this season. So um, he was just a lot of fun to watch, just a, a great personality and uh, somebody who wasn't shy from the spotlight but didn't uh, use it the wrong way either. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he was fun to watch this year. Um, I feel sad for the, the Kentucky fans and for uh, Stoops that they don't get him back for one more year to see what kind of momentum they could keep, continue to build um, down there at Kentucky. Yeah. Well, let's get to the defensive side of the ball. Um, my first guy is Luke Keekley from Boston College. And the reason I wanted to see him one more year is to see how many tackles he could have uh, had total. Now, um, he finished in three years with 532 total stops. Um, you look at his numbers. Freshman year, he had 158 tackles, 183 his sophomore year, which included 110 solo stops. I mean, if you look at the leading tackler for 
all the Division One teams this year, I'm willing to bet that about 70% of them did not reach 110, and he had that many solo tackles. Um, he had 191 in his junior year, 191 total tackles. He also had seven interceptions, which included two pick sixes, um, and then there was that you know remarkable comeback that he made uh, from his illness, and he's uh, one of the uh, better linebackers in the NFL. Uh, and he did all these game, or he had all these tackle feats, mind you, with playing 13, 12, and 13 games in his season. So one year they didn't even make a bowl game. So it's not like he was playing uh, 13, 14, 15 games uh, every single year. He was doing this in less games than some of these guys are putting up numbers uh, that were fewer than what he had in, in more games. Yeah, and I remember uh, watching the game, uh, Notre Dame and Boston College, seeing him and Manti Teo on opposing sides. It was just a clinic of how to play middle linebacker uh, at college because those two just dominated the stats stat sheets with uh, tackles. And it was really frustrating as a Notre Dame fan uh, watching how many times Keekley got to the ball. The guy can just go from sideline to sideline and, uh, you know, really showed what it means to be a, a linebacker as he's a sure tackler. He is, has his head in the game, knows what's going on and has that, amazing athletic ability to go with it. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, just a little trivia for you. Do you know who is the NCAA's all-time leader in tackles, Bip? I think I've heard of this before, but I'm going to defer to you on this one. Who is it? It is uh, former Northwestern Wildcat and current linebacker coach for the Wildcats, Tim McGarrigal. Uh, okay. So um, as good as Keekley was, uh, Mr. McGarrigal holds the all-time record for stops in the NCAA. Just wanted to throw that out there for you, Timmy. Um, my other guy, and again, you might want to plug your ears on this one bit, but uh, believe it or not, Charles Woodson. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I did not like watching that guy uh, because I was rooting for – uh, basically everybody against them, uh, he was just darn good. I mean, you look at his 1997 Heisman season, eight interceptions, nine pass breakups, 44 tackles. He also was pretty explosive on the offensive side of the ball, 12 catches for a 19.8 average, two touchdowns. They won the national championship. Uh, they went 13-0. and 0. And, you know, he was one of those guys, too, who – wasn't overly cocky. He just backed up his play. Uh, he didn't have to talk. He let his actions speak for himself. So he wasn't like the, the neon Dion flashy type guy, but he was flashy with his play and didn't have to get his, his mouth and his actions involved too. So, um, I would have liked to have seen Woodson come back for one yeah, more year. Yeah, and he kind of carried that into the pros too, like you mentioned. Not not a big talker, but he definitely had that confidence about him to where, you know, people would would lead uh, or people would follow behind him, and, and you always hated playing against him if you were the opposing team. Right, right. So that does it for me on on the defensive side. How about you? Well, I had Luke Eakley as well, but I'll, I'll make a an on the fly switch. I'll go with Lavar Arrington from Penn State. Um, Yep, I had an unbelievable on my list. athlete. Love seeing the clips of him jumping over the offensive and defensive lines when trying to block kicks. Uh, was a terror in the backfield. Um, wish he would have had a little better of a, a pro career because I thought that he was destined to be the next mm -hmm. LT. Um, so yeah. really, really enjoyed watching him uh, for the short time he was there in um, uh, at Penn State. But uh, 
And he's exactly who I'm reminded of when I watch Micah Parsons. I mean, they wear the same uniform numbers, play the same mm-hmm. position. I see Parsons being uh, very Arrington-esque. Right, for sure. So my next guy, um, I'm going to go with Jadevian Clowney. And I'm going to have a caveat and say that I wish that I could see him for two more years because that junior year was not a uh, one that was full effort. Um, but his freshman right. and sophomore yeah. year um, – he showed great ability sophomore year, especially 13 sacks, tw- uh, 23 and a half for loss. And we've all seen that clip in the uh, bowl game where he lights up the Michigan running back, causing him to lose his helmet. I mean, <laughs> the guy was just a man among, yeah. amongst boys, um, both from a size uh, vantage point and maybe the fastest defensive end uh, for someone of that size and weight that uh, we've ever seen at the college football level. So, yeah, he was basically the equivalent of Lawrence Taylor or Derek Thomas on Tecmo Super Bowl um, <laughs> yeah. on the field. I mean, no matter what, you were going to get a sack uh, every third snap with that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just got to uh, set it to there and, and let him go, uh, and, and good things would happen. Right. So so that rounds up my uh, my defensive wish list, um, and, and I, I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun taking a deep dive into the uh, nostalgia of college football to come with, to come up with these guys. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, the history of the game and, and kind of looking back at some of the, the players, the coaches, the trends, the teams, and I'm really excited for the upcoming ESPN program on uh, looking back at the 150 years yes. of college football. This upcoming season, we'll, we'll celebrate the 150th year of the first game between Princeton and Rutgers back in New Brunswick, mm-hmm. New Jersey. So uh, looking forward to that. And Bip and I are going to continue to look at some of the uh, historical aspects of the game as well. So we're not just going to give you a look back at this season. We're not just going to look at uh, the current season coming up and and getting into the games as we get into the fall, but we'll also go back into the the annals of college football and and see all the great things that this game has brought us. So, well, we're going to do this podcast like a mummy and put a wrap on it. So, we want to thank all of you for listening, especially those who are back again after getting an earlier taste. We strongly hope that you continue to subscribe to listen, but also spread the word and help us be heard. And if you like what bip and i had to say if you liked what you heard and are propelled to do so please feel free to rate us with an honest and hopefully positive review on our next episode we're going to take a look into our reviews of all the major football conferences in fbs or division one and what happened in 2018 as we move toward looking ahead to 2019 that's what i'm talking about